Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. With that said, I want to start this message by um, addressing, I believe, before we go to the scripture, I want to do the doctrinal side, and Chrissy's going to do the experiential side. We both need the doctrinal side and the, the experiential side. How many of us in this room have uh, been hurt by uh, someone that has caused you to be isolated, okay, from community. How, how many of you uh, long for not just to be involved in a church, let's be honest, let's be transparent, to have some sort of uh, intimate community with a group of people, a group of friends that you call brothers or sisters in the Lord? Come on, how many have that? Okay, now, you don't have to raise your hands unless you want to, but how many of you currently do not have that. You don't have to raise your hand. Look, I, I see those hands because you're bold. But listen, those hands that I just saw, and I know there are more, that's why we're preaching what we're preaching today. There's a twofold side to, to community, is, especially in the church, is intentionality from the church and from the other person, but also the intentionality of us. All right. So watch what I'm going to say. Listen to me closely. Everywhere I go, uh, when I talk to believers or followers of Christ, which is people in this room, they're longing for two main things. In my almost 30-something years of walking with the Lord, I have concluded this, that the two main longings, listen to me, I'm going somewhere, of the human heart is, number one, to connect with God. There is a deep, listen, in every believer, there is a deep longing for a thriving relationship with the Lord. Connectivity with the Lord. Why? Because we are created, if I could just say it this way, almost with a uh, spiritual hole or vacuum on purpose that nothing else could fill that particular hole for our soul, for our need to be loved and, and understood, then filling it with the Lord. What happens is in our quest to uh, have peace, in our quest to have freedom, in our quest to have joy, we try to fill that hole that was actually placed there by the Lord with sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with, listen, with all these other things to try to fill that hole, right? But it can never, ever, ever fill you. Never. It's always temporary. So the main longing of the heart, watch this, I'm going somewhere, is connectivity. Everybody say connectivity. With the Lord. Which means is more than just saying a prayer in the altar. Jesus, come into my heart. I'm saved. Woo, I'm saved. I'm, I'm free from hell now. No, 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 no. Every one of you will be incomplete without a relationship. Watch this. With the Lord. Number two. The second thing that I have seen throughout my life when it comes to believers is a desire. Listen to me. A deep desire. Maybe it's hidden or unspoken to have a relationship and connectivity with other believers in Christ. There is a deep longing. Now, those of you who feel that you don't, I guarantee you, God did not put that in you. I, I tell you that lovingly. If there's a constant wall, is because 
at one point in your life, when you opened up your heart to have a relationship with somebody, somebody hurt you and you became isolated or no one noticed you and then you stopped trying. Come on, Pastor George. Come on, right, right? And so deep in the heart of every believer, there's a longing to connect with other people. There is this lie going around that says, I don't need anybody but Jesus. You know, these super spiritual people. I don't need anyone but Jesus. That is actually unbiblical. Because the book of James says, confess your faults one to another. Well, why do we need one another? I just need God. No, no, listen. God looked at Adam. He said, it's not good. Wait a minute, wait a minute. All he had was God. There's a lot of other theological stuff that go in there because there was sin in the, I, I get it. But the fact is that God said, it's not good for you to be alone. You're gonna, I'm going to create Eve out of you. So, so watch this. I heard this statement, guys, when I was praying, that Jesus' great commandments is actually so happens to be the greatest need of humanity. Think about this. I've never heard that statement before. I was praying and I heard this. My comm- the great commandment is actually the greatest need of humanity. He could have made our com- his great commandment real boring and hard. But watch this. It fits with the longing of our heart. His great commandment, watch this, actually makes it easy because we long for it already. What is the great commandment of the Lord that he says, that what is the great commandment in the New Testament says, this commandments, these two, surpass all the law and the prophets. Say it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and then, watch this, love, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit here. My hairs are standing up. And you shall love your, as yourself. Then he says, no greater commandment is this. Now, wait a minute. What's the common denominator of the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love people. Connectivity and relationship. Connectivity and relationship with God and with people. And God says, if you get that right, everything else will fall in its place. We are launching an initiative to try to reach, I'm going to just be bold here, reach some of you that are sitting in the pews and maybe are hurt or maybe no one has approached you or maybe you think, and we're trying to say, listen, you matter. We see you, but we need your help. Don't just leave after service. Don't leave during service. Stay part of a family. An isolated Christian will be a very frustrated Christian. I'm going to say that again. An isolated Christian will be a very uh, frustrated, I'm just going to add my, my street, cranky Christian. You'll be very cranky and critical if you don't have community. Oh, this is some good preaching here. Why? Because there'll be no one to balance and check you with all the garbage that you may be saying. That some of it may be true, but it's all fuel out of hurt and pain. Well, the church don't do this. This is boring. I don't get fed here anymore. And then some community will say, hey, listen, have, have you ever talked to the pastor before yet? Have you talked to the leader yet? Oh, no, no, because he just don't, no, no, he don't believe and he don't talk to me. Have you talked to them? Community is what we need, so community is what the enemy attacks. Community is what we need. What is that shape like? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will love your neighbor. The vertical is your relationship with the Lord. Your horizontal is your relationship with one another. I'm going to bust some of your bubble because some of you guys are introvert, and you're using your personality as an excuse not to have connectivity with people, but you need it. Now, I understand you need to be selective, <laughs> all right? But I want you to see this first point because I want to give Christy time to, to share her, her part. In Acts chapter 2, look at the screen, guys, because this is good. Are you getting something? We see some powerful, please hear this, scriptural examples of how fellowship and the need to be connected with people are necessary, everybody say necessary, for growth both in our lives and in the local church. Let's read that one more time. In Acts chapter 2, we see some powerful examples of how fellowship, everybody say fellowship, and the need to be connected with people. See, that's a curse word for some of you. I don't, I don't need any, I don't need watch this. I'm going to tell you the book of Acts, you could get that off. If the book of Acts, or even now, let's just say the book of Acts. We were all in the book of Acts, and there was a uh, church growth seminar. You know, we have all these church growth seminars uh, in, in, in the church today. And, and you know, and they, they come in, and you have to have, you know, a spirit of excellence, I believe that. And it has to be powerful preaching, you know, I, I believe in that. There has to be great this and great that. But I'm telling you, and I've said this before, every time I read Acts chapter 2, guys, my jaw drops. Why? Listen, zoom in. Because the Bible, yes, the Bible says that two out of the four things that we're going to read are not even spiritual. They don't even seem spiritual at all. Yet those ingredients, the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily. When, watch this. When they did these four things. So here I'm going to tell you the greatest, I'm the absolute greatest church growth strategy. Are you ready for this? I didn't get it from a seminar. I didn't get it from, a, uh, from some, some person. I got it from Acts chapter 2. Now watch what it says. Acts chapter 2. This is some good stuff. In the New King James, verse 41. When you're there, say amen. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. When you're there, come on, I want to hear those pages flipping or those iPhones, whatever phone you have. Watch this. If you're there, say amen. Now watch this. This is very simple, but I'm talking about Church growth, and I'm talking about personal growth. Are you ready? Four things. We, 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 we do all these other things, which is great. This is the key for church growth. Here it is. Here it is. Acts chapter 2. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Come on, thank God for water baptism. Listen, everybody say that day. 3,000 souls were added to them. Now this still blows my mind because it's fun. It's like it's fun to do this. It's not hard. Watch this. Everybody read this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread. That means eating food. Let's not spiritualize everything. They're eating some cornbread and chicken and some hamburgers and some arroz con candules. Not really, but they were eating good. Watch this. And in prayers. Say prayers. Now watch this. Then the fear came, of God came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs. Wait, wait, wait. After they did these four things on a regular basis, whoo, after they did these things as a spiritual family, 
in a regular basis, the fear of God came on the whole community because they were so tightly knit. All the other outside community was going, what's up with this gang over here? Now watch. Verse 44. Now all who believed, everybody say, were together. Come on, I know that's hard for some of you. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods. Listen, listen. And divided them among all who had need. That's a spiritual family. So continuing daily, this trips me out, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Oh, I love this. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Watch this. Praising God. Imagine this. They're going from house to house, eating some food, breaking bread. And watch this. And they're praising God. Watch this. Watch this. And the Lord. Glory to God. Added to the church daily those who were being saved. You want to hold the net? You want to know the net to hold people? Four things. The apostles' doctrine, which is symbolic of teaching. You're getting teaching every week. Every day they would get teaching from the Word of God. The Word of God brings growth. So there was teaching, there was Bible studies, there was people that were new to the things of the Lord because they were all under the law. So there was teaching like we do, teaching the Word of God in our youth services, in our Sunday service, in our connect groups, in our, in our journey weekends. We teach the Word. The second thing was fellowship. Fellowship. Wait a minute. That cause, that's, that doesn't even seem spiritual. I read this yesterday and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you could just insert the word fun there. And they, and listen, and they taught, and they had fun. I'm like, I feel like, I feel like that, I feel like, wait, there was, must have been a misprint. Fellowship? Fellowship caused the church to grow? There's a secret that we're missing. There's a secret. If fellowship caused the church to grow in the early church, how much more do you think they'll cause the, this church and the current church to grow? This is why we can't stream away from Connectivity. I don't care what your personality is. The, the Bible transcends your personality. So I'm glad that it says this because you and I have no excuse. You can say, well, it's easy for PG because he's an extrovert. No, it's not easy for me just because I'm an extrovert. I have to be able to see the real need. Watch this. Everybody say fellowship. The third thing that caused the church to grow, everybody say, it's real spiritual, ready? Eating. Ooh, man, I hope all you eat good so the church will grow even more. <laughs> no, but, but I'm serious. But watch this now. Watch this. This is a key. Please, please listen to me because you're going to miss it. It's not just eating. It was eating together. Ooh, uh-huh. And I'm not talking about eating just with your family. No, in the book of Acts, they saw everybody as family. I'm going to give you one more scripture before I get, get, bring uh, Christy up because you can share the experiential side. Watch this. And prayers. Now, everybody knows prayers is real spiritual. Everybody knows teaching is spiritual, right? Those two things, prayer meetings, right? Praying with the Lord or praying and seeking the Lord. That's very spiritual in our eyes. Seeking the word, teaching the word. But how about eating? I never saw eating as spiritual until I read that scripture. Say, say that again. <laughs> you can put your hand down. Watch this. Listen, listen to me. Two 
out of the four, please listen to me, two out of the four pillars that made the church grow, grow had to do with fellowship and eating together. Guys, please catch this. I, 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 I almost feel a heaviness in my soul because I know some of you are going to tune me out because you're valuing, you're placing your personality greater than the word of God. You're saying, that's not me. It doesn't, I'm not talking about your personality. Please, for once, just throw your personality out the window and look at what the Bible says. You need fellowship. You need connectivity. You do not belong isolated. You are not called to be an isolated Christian. So there's four main functions of fellowship. Okay, put that slide up. I looked up the word fellowship. Some of you scholars, Bible scholars, come on. I'm gonna, what, is the, what is the Greek word of fellowship? Come on, what are you Bible scholars? Come on, man. Come on now, Chris. Koinonia. Koinonia means, in the Greek, there's four um, stratospheres or definitions or branches of the word koinonia, phrases, that I'm going to share before I call Christy up. And I want you to see these definitions of koinonia is what we're, sorry, is what community is supposed to look like. Now, look at me. What I'm about to share with you real quick is what biblical New Testament community is supposed to look like. Are you ready? There may be some ouch moments here. And I'm only going off the definition of koinonia. Look at what number one is. The, the, the first definition of koinonia is close community and unity with others. Everybody say close. Say close. See, because for true fellowship to take place, there has to be some type of closeness uh-oh, between you and others. Some of you do not like being close to others. Let me, let me balance this all out by saying you don't, by, ha- by being close to people, you don't have to open up everything to them. Amen? By being close to them, it doesn't mean that you have to uh, spill your guts to everyone. But it does require that you get to know them. How can we know someone's needs if we don't spend time with them? How will I know your needs, Gabby, if I don't say, hey, how are you doing? And then you tell me what's going on in your life. I just can't, I mean, obviously there's a spirit of the Lord, but we depend so much on maybe the Lord will tell him. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. I'm going to stay in this church if someone comes and approaches me. Please do your part. Because there's no way that we can know everybody here and their needs. But watch this. Say closeness. The true power of biblical fellowship, watch this, requires that you and I get close enough to someone to actually get to know them. Get close with someone to know them. That is the first definition of koinonia, is close fellowship and unity. The second one, because I want to get Christy up here, is unselfish sharing with other people. That's actually a definition of koinonia. I'm actually telling you. So watch this. Koinonia means fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. The second definition in the Greek of the word koinonia means, put that slide up there again if you don't mind. Unselfish. Everybody say this with me. Unselfish culture of sharing with other people. You know what this message is called? Lost in the pews. You see that? See that? Because you could be in church and be lost in the pews. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Come on, I want to let that sink in. Some of you are like, I don't like that. <laughs> you could be at church sitting and hearing a good word and be lost in the peace. And I'm not saying lost in the world. I'm saying lost when it comes to connection, connectivity, fellowship, belonging. You could be lost in the peace and you could be sitting in the church. But I want to tell you, it's not always the church's fault. That's why I'm trying to break this down. Everybody say culture of sharing with other people. What does that mean? Sharing meals. Sharing resources. If you have something that I need, hey, let me borrow it. I'll give it back to you. There's sometimes PK comes to my office and says, hey, do you have that DVD or do you have that? Yeah, I have it right here. Have it. Now I'm going to share something with you. And this is the last scripture. I'll go to the last uh, two definitions. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. In the, watch this, in the Passion Translation. Oh, you guys are going to faint. You're going to be like, when I read this, I was like, wow. In the Passion Translation, look at what Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I'm always used to reading this scripture in the New King James Version. When I read it in the, pa- the Passion, look what it says. All the believers, actually, you know what? Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Let's read it together. All the believers were in one mind and heart. Watch this. Selfishness was not a part of their community. They shared everything they had with one another. Selfishness was not a part of their community, for they shared everything. That's what true community looks like. Right? That's what true community looks like. Is that selfishness isn't even part of our community. If I have something, I'm going to share it with you. Listen, watch this. And God forbid, God forbid, we, ha- we ask someone out to lunch that we, know- we don't even know because we're trying to get to know them for the sake of fellowship. And who knows, that person could end up not only serving the church, but being one of your best friends. Amen? And, th- and listen, listen, listen. And number, number, number three, and I'll be real quick. The third definition of koinonia is participation. Everybody say participation. And I put in parentheses the opposite of spectator mentality. True community is not right now. Oh, that was deep, right? True community is not you sitting in a chair hearing a sermon. That's edification for you, but that's not community. True community starts after the service ends. True community begins with intentional fellowship and, and community and conversation and getting out of that box of isolation and allowing the Lord to bring healing, yes, I say, even through fellowship. It's the opposite of spectator. Everybody say spectator. When we go to a game, how many have gone to a game, football game, baseball game, soccer game, what, we, what do we do? We are in the stands, listen, and we're watching and cheering someone on. And we're, and we're saying, that is awesome, goal or touchdown. But participation means, watch this, getting out of the stands and into the field. Come on. Participation means getting out of the stands and into the field. Listen, and when you do that, that is called koinonia. Say koinonia, which means involvement of some kind about your talents. Everybody say talents. Participation means you use your talents with one another. If you're sitting in the church and you're not using your talents, ask yourself why. 
Just ask yourself, why? It doesn't have to be in a big stage, but are you using it? Then lastly, and then I'm going to bring Chrissy up here, contribution. This is the fourth one. Watch this. Now, this is what, the, I didn't make this up. I, I got this word for word from the word koinonia. Now, this may not sit well with you, but true community in the, in the early church. Are you ready for this? Buckle your seatbelt because to some people in the church, this is not a good word. They contributed with their finances. Why? They said anything that they had, they got it and they shared it with some. If someone had a little bit more, they would share it with other people. That was community. And so I want to bring, actually, one last, one, last, one last thing. Put this up. Come here, Christy. Come here, Christy. Put this. It's all right. We got, we got it. We got it. From the four definitions of koinonia, put that up. And then I'm going to ask, uh, are you getting something this morning? From the four definitions of koinonia, this is a long one. I just want you to see this. For fellowship, we get the idea, watch this, church, that the biblical community in the early church looked more like family and togetherness. Stop. Does that feel like that today sometimes? No. Early church, family, and togetherness, where each one genuinely cared for one another and helped carry the load for what was needed in life and in ministry. Everybody say this with me. I need community with other people. I need fellowship. Amen? Now, Christy, I want you to share your heart with this. So first of all, as I was deciding what to wear this morning, I wanted to vibe with Pastor George, who's been wearing jackets lately. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to be real casual today. And what does he do? He wears a T-shirt. <laughs> so it wasn't my intention to be really formal. But anyway, well, I just, I mean, he, he basically adopted one of my points about how do we know how to meet each other's needs if we don't actually know the needs of the people. And so I wanted to read that, uh, like he, he read the Acts, but I wanted to read one particular verse that came in the Passion Translation. And it was verse 44. And it says, all the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. So it's not even money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Hey, I just need a little prayer. I mean, we, we somehow make it out like it's a big event, and it has to be a long and all day, you know. It, but sometimes it's just small. Sometimes I'll just be just driving along, and someone will come to mind, and I'll just send them a text. Hey, how are you doing today? And I'll get the, oh, I'm having a rough day. All right, what can I pray for you? Sometimes it's just that simple. So they've shared with one another whatever they had. Out of the generosity, they even sold their assets and distributed the proceeds. Now that seems a little extreme, and I totally get that, but it's as the Lord leads. That's the beautiful thing about putting your life in his hands and saying, I'm here for you. I am your vessel. And as you continue to love me and fill me, let me be a vessel to be to fill the people in my world and the people in the church, my neighbor next door, the one across the street. What can I do? So 
And then the biggest thing is they, you know, and he, he pointed to it too. They shared the meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. That's in the Passion Translation. And so the video that we saw, I actually saw another, an, another video. It was like a documentary about when they went on the road. And the one thing he said that was so, so neat, and Pastor George used the word cranky. He said, crankiness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. And so why is it that we kind of grind at the idea of, oh, I got to have people over, or I got to go out and do this, or I got to call this person. No, it is the joy of the Lord that opens those doors to really connect with one another. So I wanted to share a small testimony. I'm kind of the testimony person here. So, and I, there was a story that happened a few months ago with a couple of ladies here in the church. They met at the Journey Weekend. And they got to know each other a little bit. And then they, caught, and they, like, they gave each other the phone number. And they stayed in communication. And they started to build a friendship. And then one of the ladies had a need, a pretty bad need. She, she had a really, she, was in, she, was, she, had, a, she had a real burden. And, but, you know, we don't always know to call Pastor George, call Pastor, like we just, you know, we don't always know that, that we have that accessibility but we have accessibility to each other, and that's why we're supposed to be building this relationship with one another. So, one, so person A went to person B and said, can you just pray for me? I have this issue. Person B went to somebody else and said, I think I know how we can meet that need. Person C turned around and met that need, called the leadership of the church, set together in motion a real support system for that person. Boom. Fellowship. Community. But it took person A and B, took person A, number one, the bravery. Because we are so prideful. Well, I got this. Me and God, I got this. We're good. We're good. No, person A had to go to person B and go, I have a need. I have a need. And person B go, all right, let's figure out how to make it, make it happen. Let's figure out how to make it work and fill that need of that person. And so, and that's, that's, the, like, that's the cross that PG was talking about, is that she had that relationship with God, but she was brave enough to reach out to, to people and say, I can't do this on my own. And I really believe that's why the, well, that's why the Lord created us not perfect, because we need each other. I mean, I love with that one th- that video, he said that Jesus was the only truly self-sufficient person, but he saw the value in traveling and fellowshipping with people. So why do we feel like we're, we're above that? We're not above that. So the last few months, I have had the opportunity of building relationships with, some, with different people. I've had people in my home I've gone out for lunch with people, and let me tell you, my heart is so filled and blessed because, you know, you know that scripture, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the what? Word, Word of our testimony. So I would just, I, I went out with Miss Nancy, we went out for lunch, and we just shared, and I mean, she and I are very different in personality. She's so sweet and quiet, but she's all behind the scenes, and she sets up lunches, and she's the sweetest thing. I learned so much from fellowshipping with Miss Nancy. 
And, you know, and there's so many others of you, like Miss Darlene, we've got, I mean, I've gone out with a bunch of people at lunch. And one of the things, too, one of the ladies I went out, she's a fairly recent widower. And when I went out with her, I learned that. So then I had the opportunity to text her, how are you doing? Because the anniversary was coming up. Nobody knew about it. PG knew about it because he's her pastor. But did I know about it? No. But I had to take the time to get to know her. And to, so then I was able to keep in touch with her and say, how are you doing? That's fellowship. And that is when, he, when PG was talking about, you know, the, the teachings of the apostles. That is the teaching of the apostles. That is the teaching of the apostles where we come together and we honor each other. We honor what the Lord is doing in us. We pray for one another. All the things. So testimonies are not just from the pulpit, but they can be over lunch with one another. So before I go any further, I do want to, I wanted to put a challenge because I'm, I'm going to go into some testimonies, and we're going to do some prayer a little later. But the one thing is this church so believes in this initiative and in really getting to know each other. My challenge to you today as, you know, as we continue together in this Think about who you want to bring for lunch. Who here have you just wanted to talk to, connect with, go for lunch with? I know that seems awkward. We all have our schedules. But it was probably about three or four months ago I was sitting down, and the Lord just said, be the lunch lady. (laughs) Serve. And so when I mentioned it to PG, he said, you know what, I believe in that so much. We're going to sow financially into that, too. And so, I, you know, I wasn't even going to, it's always awkward when the church offers to do things financially, but I believe in all of you that you're not going to take advantage of this, but use it as needed. But don't let finances keep you away. Don't be like, oh, I don't have any money to take somebody out for lunch. Well, guess what? I do. (laughs) So... Uh, so I'm just going to put that out there. So as the Lord continues to kind of speak to you about this and as we're, as we're continuing with this, please be sure that you are prayerfully considering taking somebody to lunch today. Please. And then if you can't for- afford it, please come see me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a gift card to take somebody out for lunch. So I want to put a f- the first point that I have on the screen. It says the greatest weapon that the enemy uses against community is isolation and offense. I mean, what happens when we, when we hear, when people have hurt our feelings, the first thing we do is we shut down and we go, I don't need that. You know? So I want to tell a story. <laughs> so interestingly enough, PG and I had talked about this, and he said, I really want you to push. I really want to work on this. I really want to put this forward. So what is the first thing the enemy does? He turns around and tries to attack it. So we have our very delightful PK here who smiles all the time. (laughs) So the Sunday that I was supposed to have arranged a meeting with PK and PG, PK hurt my feelings. PK hurt my feelings. And what did the enemy do first thing? Well, then why would you want to do that? Why would you want to move forward? Why would you 
obviously this is not the church for you because if the one of the pastoral staff is going to hurt your feelings, then maybe this is not a good idea. Maybe you should just move, not move forward. Maybe, 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 maybe. And I could have really sat on that. I mean, it does. We all do, we all go through that. Somebody just hurts our feelings, and we just okay, fine, forget it. I'm just going to walk away. So, but the Lord just stirred my heart and said, "Well, what is the thing that is going to grind against fellowship and community? Offense." So I text PK and I said, "Hey, let's sit down and talk." You know, the beautiful thing about PK is his heart is so good. His heart is so good. He, his personality is different from mine. So when he hurt my feelings, he was just coming from it from one perspective, but I received it from another. How many times have that happened to people where you hear something from somebody and you go, well, you meant this. No, he didn't. He meant this. But what would have happened had I just let it go and stayed offended, stayed upset, I wouldn't be here. And maybe I would have, well, I probably wouldn't say anything, but how many times have we, like, oh, PK hurt my feelings. Really? Well, that's not good. No. Unity. Even if, let's say, we didn't agree. Unity of the body of Christ says, I'm going to love you anyway, even if I disagree with you. That's okay. We don't have to agree but I love you. I honor you, PK. And we had such a good opportunity to get to know each other. We sat down, and he was like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take it that way. Hug it out. (laughs) Part of giving up offenses is really appreciating the differences in people. We, we all think differently. We have your extroverts who intimidate the introverts. We have the introverts that feel snotty to the extroverts. You know, for real. But it's okay. <laughs> We're not naming names. <laughs> so and I want to put the second point up. We invest in what we treasure. I mean, just just literally close your eyes and let that sink in. We invest in what we treasure. Do we treasure the family that has been given to us? So are we going to invest in them? Are we investing in our breakthrough? Have we allowed hurts, disappointments, frustrations to lead us to a place where we can be isolated. It's easy to go into a place, I call it survival mode, and we isolate. And then we get trapped there. We just work, we go home. We work, we go home. We work, we go home. We have our kids. They get tire us out. We just do, just, just let me be. And then we come to church, and we want the filling of the Lord, but then we leave, 
and we go back to our place of isolation. We go back into our, it's just like, okay, I just, I know I need to go to church, but then I just need to go back home. And I just need to be quiet. I just need to, I just need to spend time with the Lord. I mean, that's good, but you need both. I've been there. My daughters and I went through a tragedy. We lost everything, everything. We were basically homeless. I had a brand new business, that, and I had teenage girls. I mean, and then the family and the community that we had, and it was really easy for me to just say, too much. I just need to be alone with the Lord. <laughs> and the Lord would continue to bring me back into a place of people. Because that's where we need. We need. It doesn't have to be a big crowd. I told PG once, I said, nobody does. My big fat Greek wedding barbecues. Better than RCC <laughs> and our Latino family. But when you are in a place of hurt and when you're in a place of just trying to survive and you're in that survival mode, that feels too big. It feels way too heavy to carry. You go to those crowds and say, like, I, I mean, I can be, I, I've known to be an extrovert, but I also have my introverted ways too. And I would go to these things and I would just be like, I don't know who to talk to. I'm feeling really insecure. I'm feeling really, okay, I'm just going to take some food and I'm just going to go home. I mean, and I know I'm not the only one because I've, I've talked to some people here that feel the same way. But it's really, and that's okay. Give yourself permission if those are not the functions for you. But find the people. Find those pockets of people that will continue to feed you. There's a family, like when I was in the middle of our tragedy, and I would just feel so depleted. And just, like, I just, I just want to go home and cry and watch Netflix. That's just me being honest. I just wanted to go home, cry, and watch Netflix. And, you know, and it was just so, so hard. And the Lord would tell me, just, nope, go and talk to this person. Take them out for lunch. Call this person and tell them you have a need. Tell this person. One of them is here, my friend Heather, who came from Tampa. I met her seven years ago at camp, and I feel like I was the bloodhound. I'm always like, Heather, talk to me. Heather, I need help. Heather, I need prayer. <laughs> so find yourself a Heather. <laughs> I mean, even if it's just one person, two people, three people, we need to find those people that are a part of our lives. So the first scripture that I wanted to put up, it's John 5, 5 to 7. It says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there in his condition a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool where the water is stirred up, but I am coming. Another step, and, and when I am coming, another steps down before me. Can you go to the next one? Okay, we're not. So the point is, okay, and then Jesus said to him, rise up, take your bed and walk. And then I want you to put the second scripture on there, Matthew 9, 20 to 21. 
And suddenly a woman who had flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched him with the hem of his garment, touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. You know, a lot of us have been believers for a really long time. And there is a theme throughout scripture. If you want your breakthrough, you have to sow a seed for the breakthrough. She had to go and find, she, she didn't just stand there and just go, I need to be well. I need to be well. And the guy at the, and the man at the well, he was at the well for 38 years. And Jesus said, well, do you want to be well? I mean, I spent many times, like when I was in my place of just trauma and isolation, I had many, many, many times where I was like, well, I don't feel seen in the church. I don't feel like nobody's coming and talking to me. Nobody's asking me for lunch. And, all you know, and, and when I first came to this church, I was going through a lot of that. And all of you have big families, and it's wonderful and beautiful. And you guys are so, like, like the Castillos. I don't even know who all your families. I've had to ask a few times, <laughs> who are all the family groups here? Because I feel like you're all blood-related somehow, somewhere. And when you're, when you're somebody like me who, you know, kind of comes into it, that's intimidating. Let's just be super honest. That's intimidating if you don't know everybody around here. And I, came, and I remember for the, for the first few months I came, I was like, I just don't know. I, I mean, I know like my one or two people, but I don't really know people. But I had to make a decision. I believe in fellowship and community. I need to chase it. I need to be the one to find it. So I would come and I would go and meet people. Who, who are you? Okay, who are you connected to? Who's your family? <laughs> Tell me your family tree. You know, I started inviting people to my home for dinner. I started inviting people out. And now I feel connected. So I feel adopted into this family. But in order to reap a harvest of fellowship, you got to sow the seed you got to sow the seed. It is so easy to come, to be quiet, and leave and be quiet. And you're like, I got Jesus part. I felt really good with the Holy Spirit. That's all good and well. But where is my breakthrough in terms of fellowship and community? Where is it that I can find, even if it's just a small connection, a small somebody, a small relationship that I can find so that I actually feel like I have somebody to pray with, to pray for me, that I can pray for, that I can go for coffee with. That's so important. And, you know, we, when we talk about the Acts 2 church and we talk about being a community and doing outreaches and all that, before we can really do everything effectively, we have to be unified that doesn't mean this little pocket over here doesn't really know this little pocket over here. It means, and you don't have to be best friends with everybody. That's impossible. But we do need to at least learn and get to know and fellowship. It's so important that we're not just looking for the lost, looking for the visitors. But you guys, me, We feel loved and seen just as much as we're going to try to love and see the new people. Sometimes it's really easy to adapt a mentality of who's going to help me, who's going to invite me, 
especially when we're hurt. There was a one day a few months ago that I just was going through stuff, and I just was like, Lord, help. And the Lord said, bring a meal to this family. I was like, what about me? Don't you know? But I had a chance to go and just bring a meal to this family. And I was like, how are you doing? I got a chance to pray over them. And you know that when I did that, I was filled. Because we tend to do, we have the mentality of, I will reach out when I feel better, when I feel fulfilled, when I feel loved, when I feel, insert it, in, put, you know, put your blank in there. But when you feel that depleted place and you say, okay, I need this place filled, so I'm going to sow a seed. I'm going to sow a seed into my own breakthrough. We talk about seeds. We talk about harvest. And we automatically think money, but it's not. What about the widow's mite? She gave her last little piece, and that was her sacrifice of praise. So when we are feeling, like when we are in that survival mode, when we are feeling hurt, when we're feeling isolated and alone, where can we sow a seed? Even if it's just a text message, a coffee date. Lord, who can I sow a seed? Because I need a harvest too. PG's been talking about the prayer of Jabez and that we can ask for us and our needs. But our needs are also fulfilled. And our tank is filled up when we give. And when we sow, so out of our isolation, you don't have to spend two, like a day with them. Just prayer. Just take prayer. Take somebody for dinner, or bring dinner to them. It's just such an important principle. But the enemy will always use that isolation to keep us on that hamster wheel of. When I can get, when I feel better, I will do this. When I can do, when I feel better, I'll do this. When I feel better, I can do this. But we need to be the ones to break that off. To break, to break off the hurt. It's our duty to break off the loneliness. It's nobody else's. You can't just sit and wait at the door. Who's going to show up and break my loneliness? It's up to us. It's up to us to come together, not just corporately, but friendship-wise. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is not hard. Isolation sucks. But joy is not hard. And there have been many times that in my isolation, I mean, I've learned this principle now. So in my isolation, I'm like, okay, where do I find my joy? And I will call somebody and be like, I need joy, so I need fellowship and some good food. 
But that's how the enemy has us. If I can keep isolated, then he has us lonely. And we come to church lonely and we leave lonely because we're not breaking off the isolation and we're not breaking off the hurts. We're not breaking off the offenses. It's so important. The Lord is doing beautiful things in this church. Beautiful, beautiful church. Beautiful RCC. But we have to do things differently than the typical way that we do things, which is the mentality of, I've got this. I can do it alone. I'll wait for my breakthrough, then I'll reach out. I'll wait for my house to be in order, and then I'll invite people. You invite people, and that will get your house in order. I really want to have... I want to, be, I want to pray for people who have felt so isolated. Because I'm here to tell you that the only way out of my isolation, the only way out of the trauma, it wasn't what we typically think world-wise is going to bring the healing. It was me finding those people and linking arms with them and saying, do not let go of me. Do not let go of me. I felt like, I, oftentimes I just, I felt like the nag. I'm like, please call me, please. But be the nag. Be that person that just says, you need me, I need you. It's not even about I need you. It's you need me, I need you. We need each other. Every single person in this room that's why we're here under this place. And the Lord is doing something beautiful. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.